Hey, Revolution Church, uh, my name is Jeremy Whitehead, and I'm the Jasper Campus Student Minister, and basically what that means is I just get to hang out with our uh, Jasper students a lot, and working in student ministry, I've been doing student ministry for a long time. Oftentimes, I think about back when I was a student and things that happened in my life, things that would happen in my uh, childhood, and um, I was thinking the other day about a couple of constants that were in my life uh, when I was growing up, and they really revolved around what was on our TV. Uh, so growing up, there is usually one of three things on our television. Maybe you can relate to this a little bit. The first one was primarily sports. Um, and so it didn't matter what sport it was, if it had a stick, if it had a ball, if it had some form of athleticism, it was on the TV. Uh, we even had NASCAR, which is just people turning left. Uh, I think it's a, it's a, uh, a sport of patience is what I call it, but uh, we, we had that too. Um, a- after sports, it probably would have been um, the uh, uh, History Channel, and so I'm not sure if you, how frequent you frequent the History Channel. The History Channel of my childhood is a little bit different than the History Channel of today. Um, it's uh, a lot cooler now. Back when I was young, uh, History Channel had, uh, man, just some weird stuff, right? Uh, I remember at any time you could log on and find yourself somewhere between a World War II documentary, um, uh, that end of the spectrum, all the way to some type of investigation into uh, aliens, uh, ancient tablets, uh, the, the depths of the ocean, and, and anything in between. You just did not know what you were in for, uh, but you knew you were going to be entertained. And uh, when I was growing up, I remember there's a thing that would happen a couple times a year, uh, usually on the History Channel, usually around Easter and Christmas, is that they would bring all of these people on, and they would begin to talk about Jesus, and they'd bring all these really uh, intelligent, well-accredited people um, in to talk about who Jesus was and what he did specifically around the resurrection and what really happened around Jesus's birth, uh, around uh, his miracles. And really, they would get on there and debate what really happened. And they kind of brought in all of these conspiracy theories and what could have happened and what did happen and, and all of these things. And uh, the sad thing is, is for all of their um, intelligence, for all of their uh, diligent study, Many times they would come to God's word and what happened and they would just be wrong. In the 80s and 90s, a group of these people got together. They called themselves the Jesus Seminar. And they said, hey, we're gonna go on a quest. We're gonna go on a journey and we want to prove who Jesus was historically. And they said, we're gonna use our modern critical analysis techniques and we're gonna investigate who Jesus was. And, and at the end of their study, it was about 40 or 50 people, this is what they came up with. That Jesus was a uh, kind of like a sage slash faith healer, um, that he was heavily influenced by Greek culture and Greek thought, uh, that uh, he was a fully human person uh, with two fully human parents, and that he died a physical death but did not have a physical resurrection. And when they came to all of the eyewitness accounts, when they came to all of the historical data that talked about Jesus's miracles, that talked about Jesus's resurrection, they explained it away saying, hey, this was some type of visionary experience or these people were hallucinating. This is what they wanted, but this isn't what really happened. 
And, and, and many times, and the reason I bring that up is, is that uh, we have a large portion of our time, just like these people dedicated to Jesus, just like them, we can become self-righteous in our, in our works, in our intellect, and we can miss out on Jesus in the process, and we can begin to trust in our work and not his finished work. And, and just as it was true for the, uh, the, the scholars on the History Channel and in the Jesus Seminar, it can be true for us, and it, it's gonna be true for our audience at the end of John chapter five, the, the Jewish religious leaders that Jesus is talking about. And uh, man, Dave did a phenomenal job last week talking about all, all that is testifying towards who Jesus is. That, that the father is testifying towards Jesus. Hey, he is my son. He is the one who I'm well pleased. Uh, that the uh, John came before Jesus and said, hey, I, I'm not worthy. He must increase. I must decrease. And today to the, to the Jewish leadership, to people who have spent their whole life studying the word of God, he is going to tell them that the scriptures they have spent their whole life studying are gonna point that he is who he said he is, and they missed it. So join me as we jump into uh, John chapter five, verse 39. It says, you search these scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. You see, Jesus had begun his uh, public ministry already at this point. He'd been going around teaching, going around uh, healing people, and the Jewish leadership had uh, rose in opposition to Jesus. They've already said, hey, we're, we're trying to kill this guy. We do not like this guy. We don't like what's going on. He's not in our club. He is not one of us. And they had gotten caught up in all of their self-righteousness and all the works. And, and here's, you have to understand how offensive it was what Jesus had said to them because he said, hey, you've spent your life studying these texts, understanding these texts, and you've missed the whole point. Uh, a Jewish person in that time period at the age of five would have started memorizing the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, at the age of 10, they would have uh, started storing the oral Torah, which is uh, teachings passed down from Jewish leadership to Jewish leadership, expanding on what the Torah had said. By the time that they were teenagers, the expectation would have been that they've memorized the first five books of the Bible. And these are the people that Jesus is talking to. And these are the people that Jesus is saying, you've got it wrong. You, you've missed out on the whole thing and they had gotten so caught up, just like the scholars and just like us, they had gotten so caught up in their, their self-righteousness and their works that they missed out on Jesus in the process. And maybe for you, it's not the pursuit of intellectual study, but you can get caught up in your works. And a lot of times for us, we get caught up in our church activity. Like it might not be intellectual study, but if they were handing out degrees for church, some of us would be killing it. Am I right? Like we, we would pass our Bible study class. We would pass our church attendance class. We, we would even pass our serving class. We served in kids. So like you get college credit for that one. You're excelling at this point. And we would be killing it in all these things, checking off all of our boxes. And the danger we have to watch out for is that while we, while we are doing this is that we are trading, doing things for Jesus with doing things with Jesus. I'm going to say it like this and don't miss this. Don't trade intimacy with Jesus 
for activity about him. Don't trade intimacy with Jesus for activity that is just simply about him. And for all of our church activity, for all of our good works, if all of our time is in the proximity of Jesus stuff, and we are not intentionally and passionately pursuing him and spending time with him, we might just be missing out on all that he has for us. And so many times, like it's, it's so easy to fall in the trap. I mean, how many times have we been looking up a Bible passage to prove a point and at the same time we're realizing it's been weeks or it's been months since we've actually spent time in our Bible pursuing him? And what can begin to, to reveal in ourselves and in our hearts is that this whole thing was all about us to begin with that this whole thing was all about ourselves, that all of our searching, all of our working, all of our good works were really to make us look good, that, that they were really there, that people would look at us and think we have it all together, that people would look at us and think, man, that person is such an awesome Christian. And my fear for us being in the, the Bible belt, uh, being in a predominantly Christian culture in our community, is that we would be able to fit in just fine and not know him at all. And we have to be so careful that we don't put the things that we are doing for Jesus as the basis of our relationship with him. That we, the things that we do for Jesus some have somehow earned us something from him. Because if we do that, we have become self-righteous and we no longer need Jesus. And so my, my, my warning for you today is don't get so caught up in yourself that you miss out on Jesus. Don't get so caught up in yourself that you miss out on Jesus. And in uh, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is, is teaching and he's, he's teaching to the people specifically about what the kingdom of God is going to look like and what it's not going to look like. And he's speaking to people and he's saying, hey, there, there are two roads that people are gonna find themselves on. There's a wide road and there's gonna be a lot of people on it. And that road is going to lead to death. And he says, and then there's a narrow road and there's gonna be few people on that road and that road is going to lead to life. And immediately after teaching this to these people, he's saying, hey, not everyone is going to be in that thinks they are in he says, hey, one day people are gonna come up to me and they're gonna say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things I've done. I've been prophesying in your name. I've been casting out demons in your name. I've been teaching in your name. I've been healing in your name. I've been doing all of these things in your name. And Jesus's response in that moment is, I don't know you. And if that does not cause us to pause, if that does not cause us to reflect on where our motivation is. Church, we might just be missing out on all that Jesus has for us. And can I tell you something? These people weren't just doing church activity. They were successful at it. They were doing great. They would have had a show on TBN. They'd be, be doing Facebook Lives and everyone would be tuning in. They were doing great. Yet at the same time, they were laying all of their works. We've We've been casting out demons. We've been prophesying in your name. We've been doing all these things. Look how great I am, Jesus. And they've been trusting in their works instead of Jesus's work. And how many times do we lay 
our works in front of Jesus? How many times do we lay our church attendance? How many times do we lay our morality, our political affiliation, uh, whatever it is, how many times do we lay it in front of Jesus and think it has now somehow earned us something? I mean, we see it so much in how we pray that we're like, God, I'm praying right now and I need you to do this for me because you remember last week, last week I was doing that thing for you and now you owe me. Like you, if, you, if you're real and you're doing this thing, you need to do it right now. And so many times we get so caught up in ourselves. We begin making things about ourselves and not him. And we get just get caught up in activity and miss him in the process. And Jesus' response to these people who are so caught up in their works, who are so caught up in their self-righteousness is going to be to challenge them in this moment. And maybe, just maybe, he's going to challenge you too. We pick it up in John chapter five, verse 40. He says, yet you refuse to me, come to me that you may have life. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He says, you refuse to come to me. You refuse to follow me. You refuse to submit to me. He says, in your finances, Maybe, maybe you are giving, but you're not giving generously. You're not giving in such a way that you would be dependent on me. You're, you're giving just enough that you've checked a box. He said, you're, you're not following me with your family. You might bring your family to church, but in your homes, at, at, at dinner, in the mornings, are you leading your family in a way that's pointing to Jesus. He says, you refuse to follow me in your work, and, and, and man, maybe you're, you're trying to do good things with your, your job, but he's saying you're willing to cut, cut corners, you're willing to take advantage of others for a profit. He says, you, are, you might be doing things that I've asked, but they're on your terms, not mine. And every person in this room, including myself, has to watch out for the danger of doing things for Jesus while at the same time we've never fully submitted to him. Man, and people get Jesus so wrong all the time. Man, I hear it so much. Jesus has never asked you to accept him. He has asked you to lay down your life. He said, deny yourself. He says, count the cost. And can I tell you something, church? It is going to cost you something. One of my uh, favorite authors and pastors, Tim Keller, he writes in his, his book, The Reason for God, about an encounter he had. He says, uh, I asked her what was so scary about unmerited free grace. She replied something like this. If I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me are put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if it is really true that I am a sinner saved by sheer grace, at God's infinite cost, then there is nothing he cannot ask of me. And that's where we find ourselves today. We are, some of us in this room might be finding ourselves in a place where Jesus is asking for a yes, 
And there's some areas of our lives where our answer is no. And not only are we refusing uh, to come to Jesus where life is, he says, hey, come to me where you can find life. We're trying to find life in all of the other places. Man, and, and we do this so much. We, we believe a lie that everything out there, out in the world, outside of what Jesus has called us into is going to satisfy us. And more than that, when Jesus invites us into something, when Jesus is saying, follow me in this area of your life, we believe if we will do that, that we are missing out on something. I remember growing up being a student and I felt this way all the time as someone who grew up in the church and was trying to follow Jesus and trying to live for Jesus, that as, as I would look around and see the people around me who were not living for Jesus, who were not following Jesus, that it just seemed like everything in their life was going great, that they had very little struggles. And, and, and more than that, all the experiences that I want and all the things that I wanted to do, they were doing. And at sometimes it felt a lot more like punishment than life when I was following Jesus. Man, and we believe this lie so much. Uh, Jesus is teaching in that same uh, Matthew 7 passage, and he's, he's saying, hey, which of you fathers, and we'll, we'll bring, he's saying, which of you parents, if, if your, your child asked for bread, you would give them a stone? Or, or which of you parents, if your child asked for fish, would give them a snake? And I think all of us kind of rational parents in this room would say, like, I'm probably not gonna do that. Like, I'm probably just gonna give them the bread. I'm probably just gonna give them the fish. But, but listen to me, church, we do this every day. We believe that if we really follow Jesus, if we follow him in our finances, that we would get a rock instead of bread and we would be missing out. That if we followed him with our families, we would get a rock instead of bread and we would be missing out. That if we followed him in all the areas of our life, that we would get a rock instead of bread and we would be missing out. And Jesus finishes this passage. He's saying, hey, if you parents, and he calls them evil, he's like, listen, no one's perfect. Some of you are just barely getting by, but if, if you can get that right, how much more can a holy, perfect father in heaven do for you? Who loves you perfectly, who withholds no good thing from you? He's saying, how much more? How much more will he, he do for you? There's a, uh, a phenomenon that happens uh, all around the world pretty much every day. If you're a parent in the room, you'll probably relate to this. Um, you are at the grocery store or at a store. You're either unloading your car or loading your car back up and you have a small child with you and you set them down for just a moment and all, all of a sudden that child turns and sees the open road in front of them. And the road looks great. The road looks so fun. There's so much room to play in the road in that moment. And they begin to run into it. And as parents, what do we do? We, we freak out. We go grab them. We tell them, hey, no, the road is bad. Hey, no, the road is dangerous. And don't miss this, church. In that moment, a good parent is not trying to withhold the joy of the road from the child. A good parent is not trying to withhold the fun of the road from a child. A good parent understands that their child is limited in experience, is limited in perspective and knowledge, and they don't know that the road could lead to death. 
And in the same way, God's commands and his instructions and the submission that he is inviting us into, he is not trying to withhold the road from us. He's trying to protect us from the things that lead us to death. And in so many times, he's inviting us into life and we're just, church, we're choosing rocks over bread. We believe that he, that he's going to withhold from us, that we're going to miss out on something if we really followed him. And, and man, I'm so, so glad as we become adults that we've arrived so much. We no longer pursue the open road in front of us. We just, we just follow God in all of our ways. We, we, we never struggle. Man, but, but the character of God and the nature of God in that moment is inviting us in. When, when we fail, when we choose the road over him, God is a good father who is leading us into life and protecting us from things that are gonna lead us to death. And he's saying, follow me. He's saying, follow me in in all the areas of your life. And, And my fear for us is that we would be people that attend church regularly. Maybe we give generously, we serve faithfully, yet we've never fully submitted to Jesus. That that we would say, Jesus, you can have my time, you can have my energy, you can have my resources, but you cannot have my heart. And, and, And the evidence that you are following him, the evidence that you have submitted to him is that you are following him in all of your ways. Not that you can't fail, but that your perspective, your heart, that your pursuit of him, that you're not just caught up in activity. I'll, I'll show it to you real quick. Uh, we talked about this verse last week in John 5, verse 37. It says, and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. And don't miss this. The reason you don't have his word abiding in you is because you do not believe in the one who he has sent. And church, not only do we we not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but we don't believe that what he is inviting us into is true. And he says, "If if you were believing me, you would act in accordance to that belief. I teach my students this all the time. There's a a universal rule. Uh, What we believe about something determines how we act. And I'll prove it to you right now. Uh, If we were about to board a plane and we believed that that plane was going to take off, but it was not going to land safely in its destination, based on that belief and that belief alone, we we would not get on that plane. Because what we believe about something determines how we act and what we believe about our finances, determines how we operate with our money and what we believe about our family, determines how we treat our spouses and treat our children. And and what we believe about God is most important at all because it determines how we respond to him and how we follow him. And Pastor Jason says it all the time. He says, good orthodoxy leads to good orthopraxy or our, our right thinking leads to right behavior. And I'm saying the same thing right now. What we believe about God is so important because if we do not believe the right things about him, if we believe he is withholding, if we believe that that what he is saying is not true, we're not gonna fully 
submit to that. We're gonna believe he's holding out. We're gonna, we're gonna believe that, that he is offering us bread, but we're gonna get a rock. And we have to be so careful. And, and, and we can be just like Jesus's audience. And when we, can be, we have to be so careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking everything's about ourselves. And Jesus is about to call this, this Jewish audience uh, out on it. In uh, verse 41, he says, I, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one and only God? The Jewish leadership had like I said, they kind of formed their own uh, good old boys club and Jesus was not in the club. And, and they were focused on elevating the people in their club that, that each person was, was lifting each other up, that they were all trying to make each other look great, that they had it all figured out, that they were the only people who had it all going on. And, and like I said, Jesus was not in their, uh, the club. And as we already discussed, Jesus has already been... Uh, lifted up from the father. The father has said, this is my son. John, John came before Jesus and said, hey, I, I am not worthy. There's one coming after me. And Jesus just said, hey, the scripture is saying I am who I said I am. And what he's saying to these Jewish people, he's like, I don't need your help. You're coming to me because you, you want to invite me into your club so I can be one of you so, so that the people following me can, can have that influence positively to you. And Jesus is saying, I don't need your help. And, and so many times we do this in church. We Listen, church, we try to make Jesus so cool sometimes. Like I, I grew up in the Jesus is my homeboy generation. So I feel like I can uh, speak into that a little bit. Listen, we don't need to make a Jesus that is more palpable to people. We don't need a Jesus that looks just like everyone else around them. A dead world doesn't need a Jesus that lives and looks just like them. Man, and so many times in the, the church, we get so worried about what the world is doing and what they are doing. Or like, did you hear what they did? How did, you, did you see that law that passed? Did you watch the news and see, see what they did? Man, in church, we're so worried about a world that doesn't look like Jesus when we're not worried about a church that doesn't look like Jesus. Meaning we, we want an unbelieving world to come to Jesus then the believing world has to do it first and follow him and submit to him. And they won't see it if all we're doing is we're just focused on ourselves. Listen, don't miss this. When we live to make much of ourselves, we leave little room to make much of Jesus. When we live to make much of ourselves, we leave very little room to make much of Jesus. And even in our most upright rule following, even in our, 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 our best works, even with no rated R movies and no cuss words, we can become self-righteous and believe that all we need is us, that in our power, in our good works, and in that moment, that, that we don't need what Jesus has, that, that we're good enough all by ourselves. 
that our behavior is making us look so good and really God should be impressed. Like, did he, did he see how hard we're trying? Did he see all the things that we're doing? Minute, and don't miss out what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good works. I'm not saying that we shouldn't serve. I'm not saying that we shouldn't give. But when we're doing it, are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it to show a world that there's a Jesus who is better? Why are we doing it? Because we have to be so careful. Because if even for one second, we start to think that the things we do have earned us something and somehow make us right with God or that, that it tips the scales in our favor, we have thrown out all of Jesus's work on the cross. And at that moment, we have become our own saviors, trusting in our own work. Can I tell you something, church? I am a horrible savior. I fail regularly. I think if we were honest in this room, we would all say the exact same thing. And if we're making things about ourselves, they can't be about Jesus's. And Jesus's audience in John chapter five just missed this. He's, he's going to continue right here in verse 45. He says, do not think I will accuse you to the father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Jewish leaders had elevated, they had lifted up Moses. They were, they, they were looking at who Moses was and what he did. Moses was the hero that brought them out of years and years of Egyptian oppression. And if you follow Jewish history, they went from uh, one oppression to another, from Syrian oppression to Babylonian oppression. And now they are sitting under Roman oppression and they are looking for another Moses. And Jesus is saying the same faith that you are celebrating in Moses is not one that you are operating in. And the same God that Moses followed at the burning bush is the same one you are refusing to follow right now. And so the questions that you have to ask yourself, church, is are there areas of my life where I'm simply refusing to follow Jesus? Have I confused my church activity for a relationship with my Savior? And, and, and listen, don't miss this. We can find ourselves just as dead in our self-righteousness as we can in our depravity. And I, I'm not talking about good or bad, our morals. I'm talking about dead or alive. We have to be so careful. The Apostle Paul talks in the book of uh, Galatians in chapter two, verse 17. He kind of picks up and expands on this idea. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant to sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And what the, man, all the scholars can miss out on and what Jesus's Jewish leaders audience can miss out on. And the same thing, if we are not careful that we can miss out on is that the laws and the scriptures and God's command were never meant to save us. They were meant to reveal when we could not obey them. 
when we failed that we needed someone outside of ourselves to save us. Someone who was bigger, someone who was stronger, someone who was perfect in all the, their ways and that the law was given to us as a diagnostic tool to show us what was wrong in us. And the, the best way I can explain that to you is with a uh, car analogy. I, I would assume everyone drove here in a car today. Uh, maybe we have some avid cyclists. I don't know if anyone teleported in, but I'm just going on the assumption that people drove here today. And when you cranked your car and turned it on, your dashboard lit up with diagnostic tools. And, and I know as I say that, there is, is shame that is covering you because you know that check engine light has been on for three months and you, you have yet to do anything about it. And it's okay, there's grace as long as you get it soon. And so because the, the, the judgment day for your oil might be coming sooner than you think. Uh, but, but these diagnostic tools were given to us to reveal what was wrong in our car so that when your tire pressure light goes on, you know that there's something wrong with your tires. When your check engine light goes on, you know there's something wrong with your engine. And there is nothing in the power of the diagnostic tools in that moment that can fix it. It's just there to show you that something is wrong and you need to take it to someone who has the power, to someone who has the knowledge, who has the ability to fix the problem. And church, in the same way, God has given us his commands, his law, his scriptures to reveal what is broken in us. And when the diagnostic tools of our hearts go off and reveal that there is something broken inside of us, it's there to point us to a God who has the knowledge, who has the power to fix it. And all of God's commands, God's command for generosity is not that you would be the most generous person, but that when you don't want to be generous, when you hold your money with clenched fists, that, that it would point you to a, a savior who is perfect in his generosity, who withholds no good thing, not even his son. His commands for the way you would lead your family is not that you would be the most perfect parent, but that when you fail, and you will, that you would be pointed to a perfect father who loves you. God's commands to forgive is not that, that you would just forgive everything forever, but when forgiveness is hard and when you don't want to do it, you will remember at what cost it cost God to forgive you. And on and on and on I could go. He's saying, I have put this in you so that it would point, not that you can fix it all by yourself, but that it would point you to me. And when the diagnostic tools go off church, are we running to the one who can fix it? or running to the one who offers grace, who is inviting us in to follow him? Or are we trusting in our own works? Are we trusting in our own power? Are we trying to clean things up and fix it all by ourselves? Listen, don't if we refuse to follow him, church, I believe we're gonna miss out on all that he has for us and that we will live the lie that, 
all that the world has will satisfy us and miss out on Jesus. Listen, if we refuse to follow that which is true, we will spend our lives experiencing that which is false. And we can end up attending a church just like this and giving and serving and being plugged in and miss out on Jesus in the process because we confused our activity with intimacy. Men and I, I'm not trying to preach perfection in this moment. God's goal isn't perfection. He is going to make you perfect, but he can only do that if you're running to him. Not if you're trying to clean yourself up. Men, and so many times we're like, man, man, I gotta fix this thing inside of me before I can be real about it or before I can tell someone or before I can bring it to Jesus. And he's saying, if you would just follow me, we can work on it together. He said, don't believe the lies. He's inviting you into something that leads to life. And that the evidence that our life is in him, that his word is abiding in us, is are we believing what he says is true? Are we following him even when it's hard and it's going to be? Even when it's inconvenient and it will be? And even when it has the cost and the cost might seem too high. Where are we running? Are we running to the God with open arms, to the good Father who withholds no good thing? Or are we trusting in our own righteousness, in our own works? Church, don't trade intimacy for activity. Pray with me. God, we come to you today, Lord. And we are thankful that you, God, that you care enough about us, not only to bring us into the, this place, but to challenge us in the hard areas of our lives. God, that you, you care enough about us that you don't let us live with closed hands. When, God, that when, when, when you're asking for a yes, God, you will come and you will move in our hearts when we just wanna say no. And God, I am praying right now that, God, there are people in this room who have gotten caught up in activity and they are missing out on the intimacy that you offer, on the, the relationship with you. And it starts by following you, by submitting to you and finding life in you. And I know that there's uh, so many different types of people in this room, but I believe first that there might be two types of people. One, someone who uh, does not know Jesus, someone who has actively not been following him, who would not say they've been caught up in church activity, but that they did not know there was such a good father and such a perfect savior who, who went to such lengths to bring us into relationship with him. And then also that there might be some people in this room who have engaged in a cultural Christianity 
And God, that they, they have gotten caught up in, in letting their works try and earn something from you instead of trusting in your finished work. God, my, my prayer is that you would break our hearts. That if we are in this room and, and we would say that we have never fully submitted to Jesus, not just accepting him, but submitting to him, laying down our life, saying our yes is on the table. If that is you today, I want you to pray with me real quick. And there's nothing uh, magical about this prayer, but there is something powerful about this prayer because of who we're praying to. And so if, if that's you, pray with me, God, we, I need help. God, I, I realize that I need you. I've been trying to, to do this all myself, whether it was uh, doing it myself in my, my church activity or, or just doing it myself out in the world. I have been trying to, to do this thing all by myself. And today I realize for the first time that you have already done it all. That when you said it is finished, you meant it. And that when you laid your life down on the cross, that there was nothing else I could do to earn anything from you. It has already been done. And that is a Jesus worth following. God, help me follow you. Break areas of my life that I want to hold on to so tightly and not fully submit to you. And if that is you in this room today and you would say for the first time you have fully submitted to Jesus, not just attended church, not just engaged in Christian activity, or, or maybe for you, you've never been involved in any of it, but you've seen a beautiful Savior today. If that is you with, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you can just raise your hand for just a second and hold it there. We have some people in this room that want to uh, give you something because we wanna walk with you. So just keep that hand up. God, help us follow you. For the rest of us in this room, people who would say, man, Jesus, I've submitted my life to you, yet I've, I've fallen into the trap sometimes. And there's some areas of my life where I'm training activity for intimacy and I just want more of you. God, help, help break my heart. God, when the diagnostic tools of my heart go off, help me run to you, not run away. And God, we're so thankful that you care enough about us, that you would lead us into life instead of letting us choose the things that would lead us to death. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.